We have a word today from 2 Corinthians. If you have your Bible with you, you can open up to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And the title of the message is Ministers of a New Covenant. Ministers of a New Covenant. Are you a minister? I'm thinking, I heard a yes, but that's not what I was expecting, because most people think, you know, um, you have a piece of paper that says you're a minister. That's where people usually go, right? Like, are you a minister? Well, I don't have a degree in ministry, so I'm not a minister. That's usually the way people think about that. But is education always required to do a job? I mean, did the disciples have a formal education, the 12 disciples? No. In fact, the people were kind of surprised that they were so uh, astute, if you will, in what they were doing. They didn't really talk like the formally educated people. So an education doesn't make you a minister. The, ba- the passage that we're at in 2 Corinthians 3, Paul calls us ministers of a new covenant. Ministers of a new covenant. And uh, if you have a, I don't know what translation of the Bible that you read, uh, you're reading an English translation. The original text is in Greek, if it's the New Testament, Hebrew, if it's the Old Testament. We have free Bibles for anyone, the blue Bibles under the chairs in the back. Those are the English Standard Version because they offer a very literal translation, but also a very readable translation. And depending on which translation you have, it says probably on, in 2 Corinthians 3, verse 6, ministers of a new covenant. Uh, there are some that say a different word. But what I like to do is look at the original word because to me that's what was written, the original. And the original word is the Greek word diakonos. And you might be familiar with that word because sometimes that word is translated as the title of deacon. The deacon in the church is a diakonos. But really the true meaning of the word diakonos is servant. So one very little translation that I've used in the past, the New American Standard, calls it the servants of the new covenant. We are servants of a new covenant. What is the new covenant? It's the covenant of grace. So are you a servant of God's grace? If I asked that question, what would you say? Are you a servant of God's grace? Yeah, everybody would say yes, of course. All Christians are supposed to be serving up God's grace. If you follow Jesus, you walk by the Spirit, you're born again, you're called to show grace to everyone. Put grace right in their face. Be gentle. Sometimes Christians like to put it a little bit too far in their face, hit them over the head with the Bible. That's not what we're called to do, but it's grace. We're great. Grace is what saves us. It's God's grace that got Ed and Sharon up here to talk in front of everyone, and Jason, and they're, you know, it's by his grace that they are being baptized today. So every member of God's church is a servant, a minister, a diakonos of the new covenant of grace. So are you a minister? Yes, now you can say yes, all right? It's not in the formal sense of, yeah, I got a degree, I'm a minister. No, it's I am a servant of Christ. And that's what we're going to learn today, that we're all called to be ministers of this new covenant of grace. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word today. I thank you for the ministry of Paul, the Apostle Paul, and all that he did and showed us by example. I'm thankful for all the disciples that walked before us, uh, not formally educated, just like us, just young men, 
uh, often making mistakes, but God, you use them just like you can use us today. You can use all of us to minister to a community that boasts 50,000 plus people that need a church home, that need to know that you love them, that need to know that you can forgive them. Father God, they're all going to be in one place uh, today at 1 o'clock. Father, may we, may we just be willing to reach out and love them and show them your grace. In Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. Somebody had posted, a friend of mine, you know, who's going to be at the St. Clair Shores Parade? You know, I think she was talking to her friends, and I commented, the whole world. Because <laughs> it's one of the biggest parades in the country, I think. The St. Clair Shores Parade, it lasts a very long time. This year it's down on Jefferson, and so um, it's uh, a, a lot of fun. If you've ever been to it, you can go check it out. But uh, why are we in 2 Corinthians 3 today? Some of you might be thinking, wait a minute, Pastor. We were in Exodus. We've been in Exodus for seven months. What are you doing? Like, are you tired of it? Is it summer and you don't want to be in it anymore? No. 2 Corinthians 3 is all about the Exodus. It's all about what happened to Moses. It's all about the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. And that's kind of what I talked about last week, the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. The Apostle Paul is going to explain how sweet this New Covenant is, how it takes us from glory to another glory, as we sang today. So we're going to start back in Exodus 24. If you want to flip back there, but keep your, sp your spot in, uh, in 2 Corinthians 3. Exodus 24, verse 12, show it on the screen for you. The Lord said to Moses, come, to, come up to me on the mountains, wait there. This is the time where Moses, if you remember, is that mountain climbing mediator. You know, he had to climb that mountain seven or eight times to talk with God and mediate for the people. And it says here that uh, on that mountain, God gave to Moses tablets of stone, the Ten Commandments, as well as all the other laws, over 600 laws and commandments, he has given them for instruction. Moses put them in the Book of the Covenant, it's called. And so God gets, uh, gives Moses the law for the people, sets it in stone, as we say, and the parents were responsible for teaching it to their children. The priests were responsible for reading it to the people. The Old Covenant had a tradition of you must keep teaching it because it's in a book, it needs to get into our heads and into our hearts. That's kind of the, the way it worked in terms of the Old Covenant. But last week I told you that Moses knew the Old Covenant wasn't going to fly. It wasn't work, like the, the people had stubborn hearts. And Jeremiah knew it, and Ezekiel knew it, and I want to read to you what Jeremiah said, because they all knew something better was coming, a new covenant. Jeremiah 31, 33. For this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law within them, I will write it on their hearts, I will be their God, and they will be my people. Now when they heard Jeremiah prophesy this, these words from God that he got, they were probably confused because they wouldn't have grasped like the concept. Like, what are you talking about? Like, the law, the old covenant has always been in a book. It's always been taught to us. This is what we've heard. What are you talking about? It's going to be on our hearts. How can it be written on our hearts? They wouldn't have understood this. But then we have the Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes. 
dwells in a person. Jesus said you must be born again. That means you must have the Holy Spirit living in you. And if the Holy Spirit is living in you, God will bless you. And the answer to this question, how does God write the law of the Spirit, how does he write the law on a person's heart? It's the Holy Spirit coming to live within you. That's how God does that. So here it is, 2 Corinthians 3. Paul's going to explain this even in greater depth here. So, you ready? We're going to go through the whole chapter, verse 3. Chapter 3, I mean. Starting in verse 1. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Paul writing to this church. A, a second letter. Probably, as some say, this might have been, there might have been three or four letters. We don't have all of them. We have two of them. 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. So 2 Corinthians 3, are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? See, there was this, 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 this um, way of going about things. Jerusalem was the center of the church. That's where James, the half-brother of Jesus, was. That's where John the disciple was. That's where Peter the, the disciple was. That's where like, the, the central, you know, the big decisions were made in Jerusalem. You might read Acts 15. You, you know what I'm talking about. So big decisions were made there, and letters would come from those people at, given to Paul, given to Barnabas, and then and you can see this in Acts, and they would go out into the different communities, and they would bring these letters as a way of showing, like, hey, we're, we're the real deal. We're from the central place. So that's what Paul is referring to when he says here, do we need these letters again with you? No. You yourselves, he says, are our letter of recommendation written on our hearts to be known and read by all. You show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. So here Paul is really commending this church that exists in Corinth, the city of Corinth, he's commending them because their actions, their lifestyle is reflecting the fact that the Holy Spirit is living in them. Which, if you ever read 1 Corinthians, you know this is a total 180. Because 1 Corinthians was a straight-up rebuke. Like, you are not looking like Christians. Then in 2 Corinthians, he's saying, man, you guys are looking like Christians. It's great that they repented of what they were doing and they started walking with Christ the way that they should and now Paul can commend them and he's excited. And When you read 2 Corinthians, you know what I'm talking about. He's letting them know um, their actions prove God's law is written on their hearts. Tim Keller, one of my favorite pastors, um, speakers, teachers, just recently passed away in the last couple weeks. He was out of Presbyterian Church in New York City. I love listening to Tim Keller and the way he teaches and his books are extraordinary. Second Corinthians was his favorite book. That's what he said. He loved Second Corinthians. So the Holy Spirit's living in them. They're born again. And for us today, when you honor God, when you live for Christ, you do that because God is in you. Please, Christians, know that you are not doing good because you're a good person. You are doing good in this world because God is in you. 
because Christ is in you. You extend grace because grace was given to you. You are a beggar who found some bread, and now you're sharing that bread with other people. Amen? That's us. That's us. That's, that's what we are. And we are told to stand firm because the world we live in is being overcome sometimes by the evil one. But he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. So we stand firm, we put on the armor of God, and like the Corinthian church, we show others that the spirit of the living God is in us. And please don't just post Bible verses on your social media accounts. Let the post be your lifestyle. Let your post be your lifestyle. That's, that's what we need to be, Christians. Not just a bunch of words, but people living out the covenant of grace. And we serve it up. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 4. This is the confidence, Paul says, that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim that anything has come from us. Our sufficiency is from God. And here it is, verse 6. God has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit, because the letter kills and the Spirit gives life. So the minister of a new covenant, what, what, are, we, what are we dishing out? What are we serving up if, we, if, if we're kind of following Paul's thought here? And he's really contrasting now the old covenant and the new covenant. He says the letter kills, the letter of the law. The law was the old covenant. It kills what does that mean? Well, if you've been with us the last few weeks, you know what that means. Um, the law of Moses, given to Moses, is the covenant of works. It's the covenant of works. That's the Old Covenant. That's the Old Testament. It's all the same word. Testament, covenant, promise. Same word. The Old Testament, the Old Covenant, is the covenant of works. You can't earn God's love. You can't earn his favor. So why did they even give the Old Covenant? What was the purpose of it? Well, what it does is it puts a spotlight on your sin. It shows you that you can't, you can never save yourself. You all, all of us, fall short of God's glory, the glory that we sang about today. We all fall short of that. One sin, it doesn't matter, separates us from God. So we fall short. So the purpose of the law, the purpose of the old covenant, is not to save you, it's to point you to the one who can save you. And that one is Jesus Christ. He fulfilled the law as he said he would do. He's the only one to ever do it. So in Christ you're saved, you're born again. By grace alone, in Christ, you can have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. And as we love 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, we love this verse, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old passes away, the new has come. The old covenant is not what earns you heaven. The new covenant, by grace, you're saved. And that's what we share with others. Because so many other people are stuck in they're stuck believing a lie. If you really dig down, if you really ever minister to someone, listen to them, talked with them, 
found out the root of the problem that's going on in their life. And there's lots of, there's lots of things that, that, that grow out of a lie. But if you find out the root is the lie, the lie is the problem. Deep down in the root is this lie of, of, of I'm living in this guilt. I'm living with this guilt. I, I, how can God forgive me for this? I'm living with shame. Um, that is not God's plan. Some people are stuck living and thinking and believing a lie. It might be you. It might be somebody you know. But as ministers of a new covenant, that's what we're helping them do. We're helping them get out of this, this place that they're in. We're helping them get unstuck. And you like to help people, don't you? I, I'm looking at a lot of people who love to help. You've got to help them stop believing the lie and help them see the truth. And in the truth, they can have forgiveness. I'm telling you, the longer I pastor, the more I see this over and over and over and over again. People believing lies. Living a life that's stuck in guilt and shame and it's sad. And I just want them to discover the truth. I just want them to see the truth. And stop looking at other places for happiness that are the wrong places. If they would just look to Christ. If they would just discover what grace is. Back in 1947, in Qumran, which is a village about 20 miles east of Jerusalem in the Middle East, on the northwest shore of the Dead Sea, a young shepherd was chasing after a goat that had gone astray. And he tossed a rock into one of the caves along the sea cliffs, and he heard a cracking sound. And he thought, that's interesting, and he went and looked, and he discovered that a ceramic pot that contained leather and papyrus scrolls were later determined to be 2,000 plus years old. What a find. What a discovery. Ten years and many searches later, 11 different caves around the Dead Sea were found to contain tens of thousands of scroll fragments dating from the 3rd century B.C. to A.D. 68. Yes, I am excited about God's grace, too. Thank you for beeping your horn. <laughs> this is a great discovery. 800 separate works were found in, the sea, in, the, in these caves, which we now call the Dead Sea Scrolls. Did you know that the Dead Sea Scrolls contain every book of the Old Testament except for one, Esther? They were all there. And what's really amazing about this discovery, what's really exciting is, is that before that, all the manuscripts that they had were dated a thousand years earlier. And the, all the copies of the Old Testament that they had up until that point, when they compared them to this new find, these, these scrolls that were a thousand years older, when they compared them, they found out that they were spot-on matches. Meaning that they had been preserved centuries God preserved his word so that when you read the Old Testament, you can trust this is what the original authors wrote. In fact, the New Testament boasts like 20,000 different manuscripts, copies of the New Testament book, more than any other history book that we have. So when you read the 39 books of the Old Testament, the 27 books of the New Testament, when you open up your Bible, folks, you are reading 
the Word of God. God moved the men that moved the pen, and you're reading what those original guys wrote down. Isn't that awesome to know that you're reading the Word of God? You're hearing from God. You're getting the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. I love it, and that's what we need. We need to discover truth, because only truth can overcome a lie that's setting itself up with guilt and shame. The evil one wants you to think you can't be forgiven for what you did. You cannot overcome that obstacle in your life, that, that thing that's been stopping you, and you just can't get over it, and you can't get over it. The evil one wants you to think, the lie in your head says, no, I'll never be able to overcome that. I'll never be forgiven for that. But God says differently. God says, I will forgive you for everything and anything you've ever done. I can help you overcome any obstacle in your life if you trust in me. And people need to discover that truth. And that's what we help people do. If you're going to be a minister of the new covenant, the new covenant has the power to change lives. Folks, the new covenant had power to raise Jesus from the dead. You got resurrection power living in you. And you have, a, you have to be a minister of the new covenant with that power. Exciting, isn't it? Exodus 34, we'll keep going. I know we're not to Exodus 34 yet, but in Exodus 34, there's, there's a lot of the law that happens between Exodus 24 and 34 where we left off. But in Exodus 34, something interesting happened that, to, to Moses. And I'm not going to read any of the verses, but I'm just going to tell you what happens so you can understand 2 Corinthians 3. But Moses was mediating for the people. And whenever he would go up and meet with God on the mountain, God would shine bright. His glory was like the sun. And Moses would take that all in. Like, you know what it's like. If you don't, you're going to know because it's going to be 80 for like the next week. And if you go out in the sun, some of you with your fair skin are going to look like a strawberry if you stay out there too long. So use your sunscreen, okay? Be careful. But when Moses would talk with, with God, his face would end up like shining like a light bulb. Like, like it would, I mean, you, could, you know, you can tell when someone's out in the sun. Like Moses, like it was, it was probably like this for some people. You know, like you couldn't even look them in the, like can you look at the sun in the, directly? No. That was probably the way it was when, when Moses would come down from the mountain and talk to the people. But many think, that's why it says in Exodus 34, Moses actually wore a veil. He, like, covered his face with some kind of cloth. Well, some people think, and I probably, I think I feel like I thought that he did that so that he could talk to the people. Like, he puts the veil over his face so that he can talk to the people because he's too shiny. That's not it. That's not the reason. It, Paul explains the reason here. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 7. Paul says, if the ministry of death, that's the Old Covenant, carved in letters on stone, the Ten Commandments, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of his glory, but it was being brought to an end. Then he says, in contrast, will not this new ministry, the ministry of the Spirit of the New Covenant, will it not have more glory? If there was glory, verse 9, in the ministry of condemning, condemnation, then the ministry of righteousness 
must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, he says, verse 10, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because the new glory surpasses it. Verse 11, for what if what is being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Verse 13, not like Moses who put a veil over his face so the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. See, verse 13 is the key to understanding why Moses wore the veil. It wasn't so that the people would not look at him. They probably couldn't look at him because, honestly, it says in here, in Exodus 34, that Moses would talk to God, no veil, glory on him. He would radiate that glory while he talked to the people. And after he talked to the people, then he put the veil over his face. You say, why? The answer is in verse 13. Because the outcome was that the glory faded away. Moses' glory would fade away. He would talk to God, it would radiate on him, but then it would fade away, just like you. You know, you don't stay like a strawberry forever, do you, if you get out in the sun too long? Eventually, it fades away. That's what happened to Moses. You see, verse 9 tells us that the glory, there is glory in this old covenant, but there is a greater glory in the new covenant because God's grace doesn't fade away, and that's a promise. Verse 14, their minds were hardened to this day when they read the old covenant. The same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. Paul's talking about the Jews that believe in what we would call Judaism today, the religion of the Jewish people. They're still focused on Moses' glory. They're still focused on the Old Testament, the covenant of works. They're still trying to earn God's love by obeying all the commandments and following all the rules. And that's never going to change unless they get the Holy Spirit. Because Paul says next in verse 16, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed, and the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. Now, I believe this is a verse, these two verses support election, because he implies that you already have the Holy Spirit, and then what happens when you have the Holy Spirit? You turn to the Lord, and the veil is removed. So God initiates it. Otherwise, it's not grace. How can you have grace if you do the work? You can't. God's grace is free gift. So the veil is removed. A person no longer tries to work their way to heaven. They no longer try to earn God's love. They're saved by grace alone. They have the Holy Spirit. And when you have the Holy Spirit, you have freedom. We sang that song. But what are you free to do? What are you free to do when you have the Holy Spirit? Well, Moses had to mediate for the people. He was the only one that could approach God. And what Paul is saying is, is that now in the new covenant, you can approach God. You can stand in God's presence. You can experience his glory. And you can do it with an unveiled face. Verse 18. We all, with unveiled face, beholding, which is really the word reflecting, the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. 
Now, you might have a different translation that says from glory to glory, which is why we sang that song today, glory to glory. And the, the understanding of that, this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit, the understanding of that, well, we've had discussions. Gary and I have had talked about this before, that song before, like, do, how, how do we grasp that? How do we understand that song from glory to glory to glory? Well, here's the understanding. It actually just kind of clicked for me 100% this morning as I was really just thinking through and listening to my wife kind of rehearsing the song and singing it. It was like, oh, I get it. I finally get it. You ever have that light bulb go on? It's like, yeah, I get it. From glory to glory means from the old covenant glory to the new covenant glory. That's what Paul is saying here, that we with unveiled face reflect the glory of the Lord we are transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, from the old covenant glory to the new covenant glory. And what's so great about the new covenant glory? It never fades away. It never fades away. And that's the freedom that we have, to approach God and experience this glory. And the more we sit in his presence, the more we radiate his glory, the more we're transformed. The word transform is the word metamorphosis. The caterpillar turning into a butterfly. That's us as Christians. We're, we're a new creation in Christ. The old is gone, the new has come. And the more we're in his presence, the more we read our Bible, the more you get to know God, the more you walk in the Spirit, the more you imitate the life of Jesus, he will change you into the image of his son Jesus. Amen? We're ministers of a new covenant. And in a little bit here, I'm going to dismiss Ed and Sharon and Jason to go down and get ready for their baptism. They're going to head down and prepare for that. And as they do that, I want to finish. You guys can go on and, uh, and walk down. Ministers of a new covenant, I want to finish with an, a reminder and maybe a question that you've asked yourself many times before. We've had this debate as we've gone through the book of Romans. We've had this discussion, I should say, it really wasn't a debate per se, but in Romans uh, chapter 11, I think it's in Romans 9, there's this question of, is there a difference between ethnic Israel, Jewish people who have a Jewish ethnicity, and spiritual Israel, as I would refer to it? Is there, is there an ethnic Israel? Is there a spiritual Israel? What's God's plan for them? And I say that because in in Exodus 19, God does something with the people of Israel. There's a reason why we have the Bible today. Remember how we talked about how, how amazing it is that we have this Bible that has lasted all of these years? Well, it's the Jewish people that did that. Like, it's their scribes that were adamant about being perfect in, in transcribing the copies so that we have what we have today, and it's the originals, like the originals. So we think there, there, there was a plan that God had. It says in Exodus 19, I don't have this on the, the screen for you, but God says to Moses, as the mediator, he says to them, you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. You are a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And they had a, a tribe of Levi, the Levites were the priests, and they were a holy nation. And the Jewish people today believe that they're a holy nation. Even though they reject Jesus Christ as the Messiah, many of them, not all of them, 
but they, they, don't, they still believe they're a holy nation. They still believe God is going to use them. They still uh, believe that, that Jesus, um, the Messiah is coming. But now Peter, the disciple of Jesus, explains that the new covenant changed and made Christians the holy nation. The Christians, you, are a holy nation. 1 Peter 2, verse 9. You are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You're a people for his own possession. So you can proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into the marvelous light. Peter is saying to us as Christians, you're a holy nation. You're a kingdom of priests. You're ministers of a new covenant. That's, that's, what, that's what I've given you. You were once not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you didn't have mercy, but now you have received mercy. And if you think, well, wait, that's just Peter. No, there's more. There's John. John wrote in Revelation chapter 5, he says, By the blood of Jesus who ransomed people for God from every tribe, every language, and people, and nation. And you made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Friends, as Christians, you're part of a holy nation and a kingdom of priests. You're ministers of this new covenant. You're serving up God's grace. So, hey, let's get the ministering. If you're going to be out and about in the community, minister God's grace. Every member of God's church is a minister. I can only help so many people. There's a certain amount of people in my circle of influence that I get to minister to, to, to disciple, to encourage, to build up in the walk that we have. But you have a different circle of people that you, you, react, you interact with. I can't minister to them. You can. That's why, that's why the job is not on my shoulders. I'm not the only minister. You're all ministers of a new covenant. You're servants. You're diakonos. So you need to go out and serve up God's grace. Keep sharing God's love with people. Show them that they can have forgiveness, that they can live holy lives as God has called us to live holy lives. And when they do, when they turn and they receive God's forgiveness, when they turn to the Lord, we can rejoice. One of the greatest, most exciting times of of a person turning to the Lord is when they do exactly as Sharon said, when they do something outwardly that reflects what's happened inwardly, when they get baptized. Baptism is what Jesus did as an example for us to do to show that the life, the old life, is being buried, which is when I lower them under the water, that's their old life dying. And when I raise them up, that's their new life in Christ. And we look forward to that resurrection that we will all have and get glorified bodies to go live in heaven forever. Amen? Let's stand for our final song that will lead us into our baptism time. I'm going to pray. And let's keep worshiping. Father, thank you for your holy word today. Thank you for all that you've done for us. Thank you for your Holy Spirit living in us. 
May we be encouraged today to be ministers of a new covenant, the covenant of grace. And may we share that grace always in everything we do, in our lifestyle, not just on Sundays, not on Wednesdays, but every day. Let us be ministers of grace. In Jesus' name. The church said? Amen. Amen.